Welcome to MT's Live. I'm your host, Tyler D. It's Friday, September 4th, a sunny day in Chicago. I'm excited today. Today, we've got a big episode. It's the first time we're going to start our new segment, Beginner's Corner, where I'll look to cover NFT 101 level content. Um, we've gotten some feedback that with NFT's Live, we kind of just dove right in to content. Um, but we really didn't start with any beginner level, uh, you know, introductory, what are NFTs type content. So we're addressing that feedback today. <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to split the show into two parts. So part one is our standard series of segments where we're going to run through the top news stories from this week, recap the market action, go through our standard segments. And then for part two of the show, We'll spend about 20 to 30 minutes in beginner's corner, and we're going to answer three basic questions today. So what are NFTs? What types of NFTs are there? And why are they valuable? And then uh, with the two segments, if our more NFT savvy listeners want to go ahead and drop after the first half of the show, that's totally fine. Sound good? All right. Well, let's dive in and start with top news. Our top news story for today is Twitter authenticating NFTs. This is just a huge, huge story, just absolutely dunking on the right-click save crowd that's out there. It's over. Good game. Well played. That crowd is dusted. Twitter said no more. What the hell am I talking about? <clears throat> so basically what this announcement is, is that Twitter is going to start a verification process for users who have, you know, avatar type uh, photos as their profile picture on Twitter. Um, so what this, what this means in practice is if you've got a CryptoPunk and you're using it as your Twitter profile photo, Twitter is going to verify that that's actually linked to the CryptoPunk NFT. And thus, if anyone was just right-click saving and using it for their photo, they're no longer going to be able to do that. They won't be verified. Um, so this created a you know a big storm uh, on, on Twitter yesterday. Uh, we've already seen some surges in different PFP projects uh, coming out of this news. And there's also been a lot of discussion in the market about how is this actually going to work? Um, and the consensus is right now that Twitter is going to do a whitelisting of projects. So they're probably going to start with the, the biggest name PFP projects like CryptoPunks or Bored Apes. Um, and <clears throat> they're going to verify users that have those NFTs as their photos. The reason they have to do this whitelisting is, in theory, I can copy paste a CryptoPunk picture. I can turn that into an NFT. The NFT exists, but it's not tied to the actual CryptoPunks project, but it's an actual NFT. So this is why Twitter is going to have to verify and whitelist certain projects. Um, the reason that's important is now there's already chatter that whitelisting of projects is uh, analogous to Coinbase listing new coins uh, on, their, on their platform. So new ICO type launches. It's going to have big market impact. Um, we're absolutely going to have to follow the Twitter whitelisting. Um, I also think this is the first step for Twitter in rolling out marketplace type functionality. So if they're already 
plugging in to MetaMask and verifying NFTs, it's not a huge reach that we could be buying and selling NFTs directly from Twitter, uh, which would be fantastic. So I'm very bullish Twitter, long Twitter now. Great news uh, coming out of Jack, who's been more of a Bitcoin maxi, but this is a big, big Ethereum play. All right, next story, we have to talk about the Time Magazine NFT drop, Build a Better Future. Um, This NFT drop was yesterday, made a huge splash. Um, It was the biggest gas war I think that we may have seen in 2021. Um, Huge demand for this drop. There was 4,676 pieces. They were minting for 0.1 Ethereum. What happened in practice is it cost more than one ETH each to mint these with the the GUI gas cost layered in. We saw users do 5,000 GUI and get denied. I think it ended up costing about 8,000 GUI or so to actually get through. So what does that mean? The NFT cost 0.1 ETH. You had to spend more than one ETH to actually be able to successfully buy these. The secondary market immediately surged. We saw the four price go above three, then came down to the twos, and it actually is sitting around one, one or one point two so far today. Um, you know what? What drove the demand for these, and and what were they? So uh, it's a series of NFTs from forty different artists that Time kind of commissioned and worked with, and they had some pretty big name artists out here. So. Cass Simard um, is a, uh, a really up-and-coming photo NFT artist, and she's got some fantastic pieces we'll actually cover later on in the show. Um, Buck Render is a huge name, cult following, and Justin Versano. So some really big names, which drove the, the market demand pre-reveal. But then the reveal happened yesterday, and this is really when the, the floor price of these NFTs started dropping. And, I'm going to show the OpenSea page now. As we can see, the entry price is about one ETH, so break even um, with with the cost of gas for anyone who minted yesterday. Um, I think a part of that driver for the dip is the the format that these NFTs came out in. It seemed like such a slam dunk for Time to to make these like magazine covers, right? Just the singular image front page of a Time magazine but they opted for this different layout. And I, I don't think it's been that, that well received so far. Um, additionally, the, the different artists, it, there's essentially duplicates. So each artist created one piece. Um, there's a six, essentially 137 for each artist. They're essentially copies or additions at this point. So it's not a unique set of 4,600. Um, it's essentially 40 sets of 137 editions. So I think that also, you know, drove down the price in the market. Am I salty? Yes. I, I absolutely tried to mint these yesterday. I came out with a laughable 2,000 GUI. I was trying to spend, you know, about 0. 0.4, uh, 0. 0.3 to 0. 0.4 per NFT. I had absolutely no shot. Um, you know, I think these are still important NFTs. I think they'll hold up still over time. We'll, we'll probably see the price dip here in the short term, but I could absolutely see that going back up um, in the future. <clears throat> I have to say one funny tidbit is Time Magazine also threw in an online subscription to Time that lasts through 2023 
for anyone who who buys the NFT. Like any NFT buyers out there in the market right now are reading Time Magazine. News for Time, us NFT grinders, we just grind Twitter and Discord 20 hours a day. I haven't read a magazine article in months. I don't think many folks in this community are, are doing that unless it's news related to you know crypto or NFTs. But good luck, Time. Hopefully you get a few, uh, a few page views out of this NFT drop. Our next story has to be the Tiger Woods DraftKings drop here this week. Um, he had two drops Tuesday and Thursday for his new NFT in the up-and-coming DraftKings marketplace. Um, we've seen some surging valuations. So this was highly anticipated. Um, the Tuesday drop were Carbon Premier, which came out at $10 per NFT, and then Platinum Premier, which were $25. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to scoop one of the Platinum Premieres for 25. And as you can see, the entry price is already 10X. It's $250 to buy that now. And then he, the Tiger dropped from Thursday, yesterday, uh, where sets of 100, the carbon signed and platinum signed. I think these were around $250 or so. Um, I didn't get into to this drop, but as you can see, uh, almost $7,000 each. So some of the highest prices actually that we're seeing in the, at these addition sizes in the DraftKings marketplace, I think Tiger is number two. If we scroll all the way down, he's higher than Tony Hawk. He's higher than Derek Jeter higher than Osaka and Wayne Gretzky. I think only Tom Brady's uh, DK NFTs are, are going for higher. Yep, so Tom is at 9K for Platinum, 13K for Carbon. Uh, <clears throat> but Tiger Woods, successful drop. There's going to be more drops uh, on the 28th, uh, which are going to be even more highly sought after. Those are our news stories. Let's take a look at the market from the past three days using data from our friends at IC Tools. So I'm, I'm showing the, the three-day view filtered by volume right now. The top of the board, Sandbox. I don't know what happened. 67,000 Ethereum traded in the past three days with really not that many relative sales. So only about 469 sales. So, so clearly some really huge dollar amount sales here. I'm not really sure what's going on. I haven't been followed this super closely. It must be some really big land, uh, virtual land sales here uh, driving this action. Um, so we'll, we'll try to look into that and have more uh, for next show. We touched on time, number two on the board. That was definitely going to be expected. Lost Poets, uh, a really cool project from Murat Pak, um, essentially drive, dropping a series of page poetry page NFTs, you need to collect multiple pages. There's some game and strategy uh, behind the, the collecting. They dropped it a, a 0.32 entry price, I believe, and the floor has surged to 1.4. Uh, we're seeing you know, nearly 3K Ethereum traded, so clearly a big market here. I'm sure we're gonna see a lot more of that as the future page drops come. Fools on the board, Cupcats official, they started out around, I think, 0 0.4, 0 0.5 pre-reveal. They surged all the way to 1.4 ETH, you know, 2,500 ETH traded. Just continues to verify one of the primary rules in NFT trading investing by cap projects. Cap projects perform outperform the market almost 10 times out of 10. 
So just you see cat in the title, go ahead, take a flyer. It's probably going to be successful. Um, as we scroll through the board, Loom Locks. So Loom Dart, a, a huge uh, personality in, in crypto Twitter, dropped an NFT. It's been, it's been performing very well. Um, Art Blocks, you know, a little bit lower than they've been in previous weeks. Most of the action really driven by the Casey Reese Photo Access Project, which we'll touch on in a bit. Um, then the, the next series of the, the board, you know, the, the bottom five of the top 10, it's all PFPs. So Supducks, Mutant Apes, Lazy Lions. Touch on a few of these. So Supducks have had a, a huge week. Uh, we talked about them a little bit last week. When I was looking at them, they were around 1.2 ETH midweek last week. Their floor is over four Ethereum now. Even more important, the, their token, the Volt token, which each Subduck owner received and accrues 10 of per day, surged past $2 a token. Just a really high valuation for an NFT token. I think it's retraced a bit. It was about $1.30 when I checked yesterday. But man, the Subduck's project is absolutely surging. So definitely pay attention. And then speaking of surging, Lazy Lions. Lazy Lions making... You know, some of the biggest news in NFTs, their floor price surged over to uh, the past few days. I believe there was some type of Twitter space war or battle going on between the Bored Apes and Lazy Alliance that, that happened on some uh, space earlier this week. I saw some chatter about that on Twitter. Seems childish to me. There's plenty of room in NFT communities for multiple PFP projects, but kudos to the Lions community. Clearly, they're doing things, uh, doing some things right. The last project I want to touch on is Not Fungible Bones. So this was one of my favorite drops from this past week. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go to their OpenSea page, and you can kind of get a glimpse of what these are. So these are animated skull GIFs, uh, GIFs. Um, there's about 40 different types or so. Um, they're essentially additions with, with different colors, uh, but you can see all the different varieties and the different animation styles. This is one of those rare projects that's been almost universally well-received, both from Sharps um, as well as the public. And we've seen the, the market respond accordingly. So these were actually free to mint earlier this week when they dropped. Um, then the floor went to about 0.1. I was able to actually... Uh, scoops them up around 0.1. I think I got four or five or so. Um, and now the, the floor has gone up to about 0.24, 0.25. Um, what's also really cool about this project is the artist created one of one pieces that are in the set. So while, as you see the, you know, the skulls here, there are essentially copies of, of different styles, which are just all different colors. Um, they also created some one of ones. And the, the coolest or the, the grail bones piece here I, I, i'm going to show now uh which was purchased uh again by borders road wilson uh on twitter making the, the grail buy at 37 eth i believe earlier this week um this, this is a really cool piece you see the animation um wilson making a, a big name uh, for himself here in NFT purchases in the past week. So kudos to him. I think this is definitely a good investment and it's uh, going to pay off over time, but really cool project. It's spooky season. You know, Halloween's coming up, hoping that this one continues to, to perform well.
All right. Well, that takes us through our market update. Let's do a few more of our rotating segments. I'm going to start with blue chip PFPs. So head over to CryptoPunks World. We're going to take a look at all the punk sales here uh, from the last day. Since that Twitter news, certainly we've seen a surge in CryptoPunk sales. We've seen about 25 sales or so in the last 24 hours. Um, some on the floor, but we've seen some big buys here. So two of these albino hoodies for 290 ETH and 350 ETH. So really big purchases. Um, we also saw this VR for 159, uh, real nice looking punk and a few redheads as well. Um, so I expect we'll continue to see some nice movement here in the, in the crypto punks world coming out of that Twitter news. Um, we saw similar action with Bored Apes, uh, about 25 sales or so in the last 24 hours. On the high end, around 72 ETH and 78 ETH um, buys. The rest, I think, closer in the upper 30s, low 40s, the four sitting around. 39 or so. Um, and the next tier of PFPs, certainly Cool Cats. I touched on Subducks, they're surging. Cool Cats actually cooled off a bit earlier this week. I think the four had retraced close to six, maybe had dipped into the high fives. Um, but there was some floor sweeping that went on last night. As of this morning, the floor is back to 7.2. Um, continuing chatter that Cool Cats are going to be that number three. PFP project behind punks and board apes. And I'm certainly not going to argue with that. So I'm <clears throat> going to continue watching some, some cool things from cool cats, especially with their upcoming milk token airdrop. Talks about subducts. I think the last topic, uh, PFPs, wicked craniums, big day for them here today. Their NFT staking actually begins here today uh, where Cranium's holders will be able to stake those NFTs and receive uh, another new NFT uh, for having done that, which is going to have some certain uh, supply, supply and demand constraints there. Uh, a lot of expectations for some potential market movement there. Um, and the Wicked Loot drop also completes today. So Cranium holders out there, make sure to go ahead and admit your Wicked Loot. Let's keep going. Let's talk about art blocks. Um, so I alluded to this a bit earlier in the show. Uh, the primary market action this week in Artblocks world uh, was from the photo axis drop by Casey Reese. Uh, Casey Reese is a curated artist. He did the Century drop. Um, he has a very strong following in the digital art world, generative art. His curated project, Century, has a 68th floor, uh, around six. Um, he dropped photo access on Tuesday. Uh, the, it ended up minting out around 1.5 effective cost. I think it got down to 1.25, but in a gas war. So around 1.5 immediately after, which has been a growing trend. You know, we saw retracing in the floor. I think it ended up dipping below one into the upper 0.9s um, as that Dutch auction continued to play out there on secondary. Um, but it has bounced back. We see the floor this morning for photo access around 1.7 uh, ETH. And I think one of the biggest drivers for this is these images continue to render uh, ongoing. I mean, I didn't know this when uh, the product started. So I actually just clicked on uh, 
one of these photo axis NFTs, you can see the lines, you know, actively animating. This is not a 10 or a 20 second animation loop. It's ongoing. So there's already uh, folks sharing images and block talk and the art blocks discord of 36 and 48 hour renderings uh, of this art. And they, it looks cooler and cooler over time. So I think an added surprise, the market wasn't ready for that, um, but is now responding accordingly. So a really cool project to watch. I think we're going to continue to see the, the price move up and up for photo access. Um, separately, I want to talk about the curated drop coming up on Monday um, from Peter Pasma. Um, his project name is Sculptor. And again, it's going to be released on Monday. It started to receive a lot of acclaim <clears throat> from artists on Art Blocks. Dimitri Cherniak uh, was providing some really good uh, feedback on this project. He's the artist behind Ringers, you know, one of the more uh, exclusive projects on Art Blocks. The reason I'm paying attention to sculpture is you see the, these 3D images. This is a new type of generative art that we really haven't seen much of on the ArtBlocks platform. Definitely haven't seen much of this in curated. Whenever I see a, a new style for the first time, I absolutely pay attention. I think the market will definitely put a premium on this one. Um, I'm personally going to be loading up and, and preparing for Monday's drop. Um, I haven't seen much chatter for what it's going to mint out at. You know, recently curated has been going around three ETH. I'm hopeful that it, it hits to that level, but I'll be, be I'll be prepared to mint and, and pay more than that. I think we have some really high potential upside. But of course, as always, uh, do your own research. But really looking forward to this drop here from Peter Pasma. All right, uh, last segment here for this morning. One of Wonderland, some big news in one of one uh, art this week. I'm gonna start with Kath Simard. Uh, I talked about her earlier. She was one of the artists featured by Time in the Time NFTs drop. She is big into photo NFTs, uh, which is a growing class. DZ5 is probably the biggest person who's you know, actively driving this and, and bringing it to the NFT community. Um, well, this free Hawaii photo from Kath Simard was bought by G Money NFT, one of the OGs in this space for sure, for 100 ETH. So over $300,000. Um, really big buy. I'm going to scroll through more of Kath's work here just briefly. You know, just some gorgeous, gorgeous photos. Um, and they're, they're priced accordingly. So we see some fairly big price tags for these, but Kath has some beautiful work. Um, expect a, a lot more to come from her. Another really cool piece that was bought this week by uh, Barat uh, was a hack and towel piece, Hack of a Bear, uh, the Scientist. So Hackatow's done a few of these bear pieces. I think they're really, really cool. Um, you can see all the artwork on the bear head, and there's also some animation and motion in the piece. Uh, Barat bought this for 48.6 Ethereum here uh, a few days ago. And the, the, <clears throat> the, from what I've heard, feedback on Barat in the market is Barat doesn't miss. Um, so <clears throat> anyone interested in one-of-one -one work, Take a hard look at Hackatow. 
there's some really cool pieces out there. Um, kind of rounding out one of one world, we continue to see the sharps and whales uh, making buys really on a nearly everyday basis. Vincent Van Doe made a few big buys this week in the 20 and 50 ETH range. Anonymous made a few purchases and Bat Soup Yum adding to his collection almost on a daily basis. Um, so whenever we see this type of action from, from whales and sharps, it's certainly worth at least paying attention to. Um, <clears throat> All right, so that is actually it for the first half of our show today. Uh, we've, we've gone through the news and the market recap. Now we're going to go ahead and shift into our first ever beginner segment, Beginner's Corner, where we're going to go through NFTs 101. Um, I talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, for me personally, when I, when I left my career uh, in consulting to pursue NFTs full-time, certainly one of the things that I wanted to do was create education content and help onboard new users into this space. And that was one of the primary drivers for starting the, the live show, NFTs Live. Um, but I've certainly come to realize and I've gotten some feedback, you know, from our listeners as well as my wife, who has some very strong feedback, that we kind of just dove into what I'll call intermediate level content without really ever going backwards and starting with the NFT basics. So we're going to start to resolve that. Um, I started by writing a fairly extensive blog. I'm calling it NFTs 101 the definitive beginner's guide to understanding and trading NFTs. Um, and the, what we'll do for this show and these YouTube segments is I'll go ahead and, and go through the blog and highlight uh, you know, some of the more important pieces and, and try to talk through this for those who, who may not want to go through and, and read the piece. Um, but it'll also always be there for folks who, who want to go ahead and reference. So it's, NFTs 101 is going to be a three-part series uh, the first part is what is an NFT and why are they valuable? So we're going to talk about what a non-fungible token is. We're going to talk about the six different types. And then we're going to conclude by talking through why uh, they're valuable in the market. Um, part two of the blog coming next week is more tactical. So how do we actually buy and sell NFTs? How do we set up MetaMask wallets? How do we use OpenSea? All of that good stuff. And then part three is what I've labeled troubleshooting. So essentially how to deal with, with common issues, how to mint through the contract, how to handle stuck transactions, what are some common scams, and we'll also include some helpful resources. Um, this is just the beginning. I've already got plans for NFTs 201, which is going to get into a little bit more theory, um, how to evaluate projects, how to use data analysis when, uh, when trying to make buys and sells. Um, so certainly a lot more to come for this series. But Let's go ahead and get started with answering our very first question. What is an NFT? So an NFT is a non-fungible token. But to understand what that is, I think we have to start by understanding what the word fungible means or a fungible asset. Um, so a fungible asset is one that can be easily exchanged or interchanged for any others of its type. Um, the, the most easy example is a dollar bill. It doesn't matter which dollar bill that you have. They all can be exchanged. They all have the same value. They're universally accepted. Um, and it doesn't matter differences like the serial number 
on the bill. A non-fungible asset then, in contrast, is one that's not perfectly, perfectly interchangeable. Um, one example that it's easy for me to understand is with cars. So two cars might have the exact same make and model, same mileage. They still are not perfectly interchangeable in the market. Um, my very first car was a 1995 Honda Passport. Near the end of its life, it had 200,000 miles on it. Neither of the back doors opened. The back window hatch would just pop open. It couldn't be locked. If you had a Honda Passport, uh, same make and model from 1995 with 200,000 miles, it wouldn't be valued the same. It probably didn't have the exact same breakdowns and repairs needed. Um, so we couldn't perfectly interchange those two assets. Um, you know, another one, which is more in the, you know, true asset world, which for, from an investing standpoint is art. So even artwork from the same artist, even if they make copies, um, you know, the, the first is often more valuable than the others. Um, any artwork that's different, right? It, it's it's going to have different value in, in the market. Um, so a non-fungible token then is essentially a digital version of a non-fungible asset that relies that resides on the blockchain. So some underlying metadata from that asset is then posted on the the data the public database, which is the blockchain, where it resides. No two no two tokens are ever going to be the same because at a minimum they'll have different identification numbers. Um, I think one of the easiest ways to understand uh, non-fungible tokens is through the art analogy. So physical art is a non-fungible asset. Digital art is a non-fungible token. Um, and I think it'll, this, these will continue to make more sense as we dive into some live examples and understand the different types. I know I'm certainly one who learns better by thinking through examples and seeing you know, real NFTs in practice. So as we start to answer the second question, what are the different types of NFTs? You know, I've broken these down into six different categories. Uh, so the first being avatars or profile pictures, second being digital art, sports NFTs, games, digital real estate, and then utility. And then utility NFTs will actually overlap with some of these above, but I've broken them out into their own category. You know, I'm certainly, I'm sure others have, you know, maybe different categorizations and ways they, they view the NFT market, but this is my framework and it works well for me. And I think it's fairly easy to explain. So let's start with that first type of NFTs, what I'll call <clears throat> avatars or profile picture projects or PFPs for short. Um, one of my favorite follows on Twitter actually turned me on to this concept of Balaji. I'll describe him as a, a new world thinker, but in late 2020 or early 2021, I remember him saying something along the lines of, we should expect to see a lot more folks using digital avatars and identifying with those digital avatars as a part of their personality uh, as we move into more and more of a virtual world. Um, when I first saw this prediction, I, I didn't really buy into it, but he's been spot on. And I think we've seen his prediction play out in near record time. Uh, I'm going to show an image here. I posted it in, in the blog. It's from chirpd.com. If you go to chirpd and you have a Twitter profile, it, it creates this ring image, which is essentially your, your closest rings 
of folks that you interact with on Twitter. And if you look at mine, you know, it's pretty obvious that it's almost all JPEG and cartoon avatars for everyone in, you know, my community that I interact with the most, you know, just looking at this, I think it's 80 to 90% avatar. Um, I think most folks in the NFT community have pretty similar chirp to images right now. It's just kind of where that, that market is gone. And, you know, I think CryptoPunks is really the first NFT that really helps launch this, you know, practice of using your uh, NFT as your avatar on Twitter and other social media platforms. Um, you know, I think the, the reason that CryptoPunk owners did this, it was, it was signaling, right? It was signaling the belief in NFTs, signaling the belief in the underlying tech uh, and Ethereum. Uh, the blockchain in general, you know, as well as a status symbol. And I think we're seeing that use case of, you know, using CryptoPunks as an avatar and social status more and more, especially as the entry price climbs and is now, you know, $300,000 or more. But, you know, for one-on-one purposes, let's, let's talk about CryptoPunks. So what are CryptoPunks exactly? Um, you know, the tagline from the Larva Labs website, and Larva Labs is the team behind uh, CryptoPunks is, there are 10,000 unique collectible characters with proof of ownership stored on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, so essentially what they did is create, you know, these JPEG cartoon characters. Uh, there's 10,000 of them and there are different types and different attributes. And understanding those types and attributes is really important as it's one of the primary factors that drives the different valuations in CryptoPunks. Um, and their rarity. You know, as we think about economics in general, rarity, scarcity, uh, command value in any market. Um, so I'm going to show this image. This is just a screen grab of the different types and attributes of CryptoPunks um, from the market, uh, from the Larva Labs website, <clears throat> rather. So there, there's five different types of punks. There's aliens, apes, zombies, females, and, and males in the, you know, in the human realm. Um, and as we can see, there's only nine aliens. So there's 10,000 CryptoPunks, only nine aliens will ever exist. And the, the entry price for one of those is now 35,000 Ethereum. We've seen uh, a few change hands earlier this year in around the $7 million uh, range, certainly the, the most expensive buys uh, that we've seen. Um, apes are also commanding you know, extreme valuations here at having only 24 and then zombies are the third rarest. And then when you get into the different humans and, and look at the attributes uh, for essentially which you know things, traits, uh, pieces of clothing uh, that each of these punks are, are wearing, you'll see that they've got different valuations as well. So there's beanies, chokers. But I think what's interesting here is that it's not just a descending valuation based on pure rarity. Um, you know, one that jumps out right away, right, is there's 48 chokers. The floor price for chokers is 275 ETH. There's actually more pilots. There's, there's 54, so there's six more pilots. But that entry price is 75 Ethereum higher. Um, and there's a few different reasons for that. You know, one purely could be aesthetics. Um, another is just kind of the, the status of a pilot. You know, it's a, a coveted career in, in the market. Um, and the market has put a premium on that. You know, I think one example that jumps out the most and maybe the easiest to kind of uh, uh, put this point home 
is the hoodie punks. So I, I've got another screen grab down here. Um, there are 259 hoodie punks. So kind of in, in the middle uh, of rarity, but they have one of the highest entry prices. When I took the screen grab, it was 290. We've actually saw a couple hoodie punks move in the last day. I think it costs even more than that to get a hoodie punk now. Um, and as you can see the, the different punk types around it, it's you know more than two and a half times as expensive. Uh, and that, it, that speaks to the other aspect of NFTs and it's the aesthetics piece. Um, it speaks to the avatar and folks who want to have a hoodie punk uh, as their avatar. It speaks to the, to the community piece. You know, I think it's an allusion to tech culture you know, in general hoodies as a you know, rebellion against suits. Um, that comfy term <clears throat> is one that we hear, you know, the most in, in this community on Twitter and hoodies are, are comfy. Um, <clears throat> and you have to pay up if you want to enter this sub community of crypto punks, certainly. Um, well, PFP projects are everywhere. Crypto punks was really the first and that's why they command the highest value in the market. Um, We've seen a whole slew of PFP projects this year come out. Um, some of the biggest names that we've seen, Board Ape Yacht Club, definitely second on the board uh, with respect to entry price. Gutter Cat Kang, Gutter Cat Gang, Cool Cats, Sup Ducks, Pudgy Penguins. Uh, some of the biggest name projects that we've really seen uh, this summer and in the last few months. And I think each of these uh, are well known because their communities very frequently use those NFTs as their avatars or profile pictures on Twitter. You know, I think we've, we've seen these all kind of use the same formula, right? You know, each <clears throat> is using an animal of some kind, different types, different attributes. And then the combinations of those attributes uh, get you to that full 3,000 to 10,000 set of NFTs. Um, so, as a newcomer to the market, you see all these different PFP products. You know, how do you even start to uh, evaluate them? Well, you know, I think there's two primary factors that, that give them value or why people buy it. One is the community and the, the, the PFP aspect of that is important. So, you know, do people want to use these as their PFPs and, on, on social media? Are, are they proud to be in this community? When you get in their Discord where people chat, you know, about the project, is it, is it fun to be in? Is it people that you want to communicate with, you know, on an ongoing basis. I think the other aspect is the development team behind the project. I think this is one of the biggest reasons that the Board Ape Yacht Club has had such success is they've got a, just an absolute top tier dev team. And, you know, I've talked to a few friends about this and, you know, an easy analogy to help understand this is, you know, we kind of view these PFP products as startups. So you have your initial mint or your sell. But it's, if you want to have sustained value in the market, it's important to have new developments. It's important to have a roadmap. Um, and executing on that roadmap, delivering more and more value to your community uh, is something that the Board Ape team has been able to do in spades. They had their Board Ape Kennel Club. They've had the Mutant Ape launch uh, recently. It's all seen massive success. And they just released a roadmap 2.0 um, with all their plans to come. Um, and again, the markets responded with their floor price being about 40 ETH or, you know, six figures U.S. dollars. Um, savvy folks have seen 
all the dollars flooding to PFPs. And now we see, you know, really the market being flooded, five to 10 to even 20 new projects dropping on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's a merry-go-round of animals and trait combinations. You know, there's a lot of burnout right now in, in the market. And certainly all these aren't even selling out um, at, these po- at this point. So it, as, a, as a newcomer, it becomes more and more critical to, you know, have some real evaluation behind, you know, which projects you choose to enter into. And we'll cover more of that content in, in 201. All right, so that's PFPs. <clears throat> Let's switch gears to digital art. Uh, one of my favorite, <clears throat> you know, types of NFTs for sure. So, you know, art has been an investment asset class, you know, for millennia. You know, something that really drove home the value of digital art to me was when I started to understand what some of the wealthiest folks are doing with their physical art. Um, I linked this article from the New York Times. One of the world's greatest art collections hides behind this fence. Um, Essentially what's happening is uh, top value artwork is being bought and stored in airplane hangars and secure storage facilities, never even really uh, residing in the the buyer's home or residence or really ever put on display. It is simply being viewed, bought and sold as an asset that accrues value over time that can then be sold at a point in the future. So as I started thinking about this and understanding that this is purely just an asset to these investors, it made sense to me that, you know, why could digital art not have the same amount of value? In fact, digital art has a lot of advantages over physical art that may never be displayed, right? You can view it whenever you want. It's also very easy to buy and sell with various online marketplaces. Um, So, that's understanding that concept really helped me understand why art could have value in, in a digital world. Um, and then I started to explore it. Um, so I'd say, you know, in my personal journey, as I think about digital art, I, I kind of put it in three classes. There's one of one art, there's generative art and art blocks, and then there's audio visual. Um, I got my start more in the one of one art space using platforms like Nifty Gateway and Super Rare. Um, so I'll define one of one art as, you know, individual pieces that an artist creates, uh, it's standalone. I think this is the most common that that most of us are are used to in the physical art world. Um, but artists can also make copies of the same piece, uh, which would have different edition numbers and they're known as uh, additions. Um, I actually got my start, uh, with one of one, uh, edition work from an artist, MBS JQ. So, I discovered MBSJQ through Twitter. CSU Ram uh, is uh, a person that I follow, you know, huge name in, you know, fantasy sports um, and everything that he's done. He was buying a lot of MBSJQ pieces back in February. Um, I was looking at them. They were committing really high values, 70 ETH plus. Um, I was certainly priced out at that point, but I really liked this artist's style. And then he announced that he was going to do an open edition for five minutes. Uh, essentially what that meant was he was going to allow anyone to buy his pieces for five minutes. Then at the close of that window, the edition set would be complete. Um, he had four pieces in this set. <clears throat> I actually bought all four. Here's one uh, unconditional love here that I'm showing. That is one of my favorites. 
from that edition set. I think there was around three or 400 of each that ended up being bought. Um, this was the first piece that, that I really, you know, uh, got me into digital art. And from there, I started to explore a lot more. Um, I found that Super Rare was really a, a platform that more of the premier artists were publishing their work to. Um, so I got my nose to the ground. I was following folks on Twitter and seeing what they were buying and selling. Kind of found that some of the, the top tier blue chip artists on Super Rare were Xcopy, Hacketal, Coldy, and, and Serialite. There's certainly others. Uh, these are you know four that really resonate with me when I consider you know blue chip artists. Um, and while I focus on Super Rare uh, and Foundation a little bit, there certainly are other marketplaces out there for this type of work. Foundation, Maker's Place, Known Origin. Um, Additionally, there are marketplaces on other blockchains like Solana and Polygon, which we'll explore in the future a bit as well. Um, to give you a sense of the valuations, the cheapest X copy uh, digital art piece on the market right now is 180 ETH, so over 500,000 US dollars. Um, over the summer, he released this piece, summer.jpg. It sold for 336 ETH, around a million dollars to punk 65.29. You know, this is just an iconic piece. Uh, this is Xcopy kind of making a play on NFT summer, you know, JPEG summer. Um, he's got the, we all going to make it W-A-G-M-I. It's uh, you know, a term that you, you'll definitely see in NFT Twitter. Um, this is a piece that memorializes the success and kind of the revolution that is, a, that is NFTs from the summer. Plunk 6529 saw the value in that. Um, and paid up for the piece, but certainly I think it's going to command a high value in the future. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a growing sense that the, the one-of-one art market is actually really undervalued right now compared to CryptoPunks, compared to generative art. Um, a part of the reason for that is it's much more difficult to value one-of-one -one art. Um, when you look at CryptoPunks, there's metrics, there's data, there's rarity. It's easier to, to put the math on paper and come to evaluation. It's much harder to do that with a one-of-one -one piece. And that's why we've actually seen a lot more liquidity and volume in our next uh, sector of digital art, that being generative art and art blocks. Uh, <clears throat> I'll quickly define generative art. It's essentially art that is created in part or in whole by an autonomous, by an autonomous system, essentially a computer algorithm. Um, so, Artists essentially create these computer algorithms. They tune them, they set different parameters, they iteratively test the system and the algorithm over time until they're happy with the outputs. And then they're ready to launch their projects. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that here to come. Um, but this style of art has been around for a long time. It's been around since the 60s. Um, I discovered it really through the Artblocks platform. Um, which I found through, you know, following folks in the NFT community here earlier this year. Artblocks was founded by Snowfro, uh, who is also the, uh, the artist behind the very first Artblocks project, Chromie Squiggles. Um, Artblocks is considered the primary platform for generative art at this point. I think the market's also proved that out. In its 10-month existence, it's seen over $830 million in sales. Um, <clears throat> That Chromie Squiggles project being the very first project 
is also has one of the highest market caps of any of the, the products that have since launched. And there's over 100. I think a lot of folks view buying Chromie Squiggles as buying stock, so to speak, in art blocks. Um, and it is certainly one of the highest uh, sought after pieces. So a little bit about art blocks and how it's set up. So products are divided into three sets, curated, playground, and factory. Curated is the set for artists that undergo the, the most scrutiny and evaluation before they're allowed to uh, drop their, their artwork sets. Uh, they typically drop it about once per week uh, at the most frequent, and sometimes it can be even weeks between drops. Once an artist has released a curated project and essentially proven themselves out, they've got free reign to drop future projects in the playground set. So essentially curated artist playground. Um, so you'll see those artists have sets in kind of both of those different project types. And then the last is factory. So this is a grouping for artists who go through a little bit less scrutiny than the curated artists. They typically have lower entry points and lower secondary prices as well. Um, <clears throat> so the, the way that these Artbox products work is the artist, you know, he, he gets the computer algorithm fully set to the way they want it. They announce a set uh, volume size, volume cap. So on the low end, it's 50. Typically on the upper end, we see around 1,000. There's been a few projects that exceed that. Um, historically, the, the cost to mint would be set then at that time at around 0.1 ETH. And then the way the minting process works is if someone wants to buy uh, a piece of this curated project, they click the mint button, and then the artwork is generated at that time. So essentially, the buyer is buying a piece of art that they've never seen before based on their interest in this overall set. Um, and then there's also a secondary market where you can buy these pieces there on OpenSea. Um, previously, again, the, the entry points around 0.1 Ethereum. That's actually changed uh, in the past few months to more of a Dutch auction format, uh, which I covered in a separate blog piece, and we'll, we'll talk about more um, in the future. But... The reason I talk about art blocks and the reason I spend so much of my time focused on it is the crazy valuations and the crazy skyrocketing market response we've seen. So I'm showing the top five most expensive projects and art blocks here on, on the screen now um, and their, their floor prices. So Fidenza by Tyler Hobbs, 168 ETH as the mint price to buy one. And you can see the mint price and the one cost 0.1. Uh, elevated deconstruction, 134. Ringers 120. Um, those are definitely the top, top tier with three digit ETH uh, floor prices. Then the, the next range is around closer to 40. Um, you know, what, what immediately jumps out is the mint price. So anyone who was early and minted these pieces and has been able to hold has created some just tremendous equity and value for themselves. So we see some real wealth being created here in our blocks. I could spend in a, two hours talking about art blocks. I'm going to stop. I did link a few health, uh, helpful articles in the blog. One from Druid. It's an intro guide to art blocks. And then Zeneca, who's also a great follow on Twitter, uh, wrote a really nice piece about it as well. Third category, audiovisual art. Um, you know, this is a space that really hasn't been explored too much. Euler Beats was uh, an early project here. It was actually my intro uh, to NFTs. It essentially, uh, a visual uh, digital art piece that also had a musical beat played to it 
they created 27 original NFTs. Then you were able to create prints of each of those. Um, a bit salty uh, about Euler Beats. So we don't really talk about those too much anymore. Um, but a really cool project for folks to check out. Um, but I think the, the audio-visual NFT product that has the highest value in the market is the OX Deathbeat uh, collection that, uh, from a, you know, a true OG in, in NFTs there with, with Deathbeat. Um, he created these series um, of audio-visual black and white pieces. They're really mesmerizing to watch. Uh, the Series Zero synth poems uh, <clears throat> was the very first. Uh, we famously saw someone buy a full set. I want to say for four or 500 ETH just uh, about a month ago. These typically trade in around the 100 ETH valuations. Um, this is certainly a less mature uh, NFT market within digital art. Um, I don't play as much in this space, uh, but I think we'll see a, a lot more to come here in the audio visual space. Um, I realize we're about 20 minutes in, so let's go ahead and, and move forward. Let's talk about sports NFTs. Um, so this is actually a use case that might make the most sense to, to me for the, the digital version here of this asset. So physical sports cards have been around for you know 100 years. Uh, we, we've seen a recent surge in their value. Um, the Honus Wagner T206 card recently going for 6.6 million dollars. Um, <clears throat> there's a growing physical card market collectible space. In comes NBA Top Shot from Dapper Labs in late 2020. Um, and essentially, what they decided to do was turn YouTube clips into digital sports cards or moments to use their to use their term, and each moment would have a video clip of that player. It would have other, uh, it would have a serial number. It would have some highlight stats uh, based on that YouTube clip as well as some stats from that particular game. Uh, and you can also see kind of the history of sales. Uh, here's just a, a picture of the first moment that I ever bought, which was a Rudy Gobert dunk. Um, NBA Top Shot moments are divided into different tiers uh, based on the, the, the volume sets. So there's the legendary, uh, which is typically less than 100 moments per player. There's rare, which is uh, a bit more, and then common sets, which can have anywhere from 10 to 20,000 plus moments. Um, so the, the volume is certainly a piece that uh, drives some of the value of those moments. Serial number is also a really important aspect of them. So the number one serials typically command the highest valuations in NBA top shots. Also, funnily enough, a jersey number matches. Um, so the player's jersey number is 23. The 23 serial number typically creates a, a higher value than some of the surrounding uh, serial numbers. Um, when NBA top shot came out and I was exposed to it for the first time, really in February of this year, I was pretty skeptical. I had the same thought most folks did. You know, why would I pay for this clip? I can just go on YouTube, watch it whenever I want. You know, what's the value? But, you know, what really drove the point home for me is seeing some friends who have physical, uh, like baseball cards and interact in, in that market. And, you know, how difficult it is to really maintain and then buy and sell those cards. So the, the cards that have the highest value, they have to be in ultimate condition. You essentially have to keep them in a closet or a safe. You can't expose them to sunlight. You can barely interact with them. Uh, you have to get them graded. And if you want to buy and sell them, you have to travel to these marketplaces. You know, it, 
it's a lot of effort and it's a real barrier to entry and exit. And you know, digital cards or digital moments removes almost all of those barriers. Uh, you can, the marketplace is around 24 seven. Um, and you know, the NBA top shot market has responded accordingly and proven that there really is some value here. So I think we've seen, um, what, over $680 million in sales in NBA Top Shot. Certainly it surged in February and March and then came back down to earth and left a lot of folks, you know, salty, especially those who, who bought at the top. Um, but, you know, it, you can't really argue with the innovation from Dapper Labs and NBA Top Shot. I think certainly a, a lot to come from them. You know, they've started to add gamification. It'll be really interesting to see, you know, what level of interaction with NBA teams they start to bring in the future there are other digital sports cards platforms so rare uh, is the the biggest for soccer they've got over thirty-seven thousand users over 85 million in sales volume they also have gamification where you can uh, put together teams of players and compete for prizes additionally recently DraftKings has launched their own marketplace um, they've started with their tom brady drop which was incredibly highly sought after the lowest edition set of Tom Brady NFTs on DraftKings commanding six-figure prices at the moment. Uh, and earlier in today's show, we highlighted the Tiger Woods drop. Um, so all these big-name athletes starting to drop on DraftKings. Um, some, some real vision for DraftKings and, and launching this NFT marketplace so quickly. Another uh, big name in, in sports is Zed Run. Um, a lot of folks from NBA Top Shot moved over into NFTs through Zed Run. It was a lot of the same folks in, in that community. Um, essentially, digital horse racing, uh, where you would buy these digital horse NFTs. You would need to train them, take care of them, and then ultimately you could race them for prizes. And then you could breed them to get new digital horses. Um, quickly got a rabid community behind them. Uh, they saw over $100 million in sales this year, over 28,000 owners uh, per CryptoSlam.io data, uh, which is one of my go-to sources. Uh, what I'm showing here is a digital horse, uh, Z1 Nakamoto, that traded for 77 ETH uh, just a few months ago. So over $200,000 for this digital horse. Um, I haven't personally participated in Zeds. So I, I don't know a ton about it, um, but I know... Uh, again, the market's responded well, and it's uh, definitely up and coming. I think this is an overlap with our next you know, topic, which is game NFTs. So we've seen some of these sports NFTs add gamification. We haven't even talked about you know, the highest valuation NFT project that's out there, which is Axie Infinity. Uh, Axie Infinity is an NFT-based online video game, which has its own in-game currency, it's got over 1.7 million owners and has done over $2 billion in sales all time. Um, so just massive, massive volumes. They're number one on the board. Uh, you know, one of the very first NFT projects, CryptoKitties, would fall into this game NFT category. They caught a ton of hype. They shut the Ethereum network down basically in 2017, and they went cold. They're starting to revive a bit here in 2021. Um, I think what's a few things that interest me about uh, game NFTs first is, you know, they're one of the early adopters of tokenomics or creating, you know, in-game currencies 
that you can use to purchase game-related items, you know, things for your character, outfits, things that make you perform better in the game. Um, what also, which is something that we've actually seen play over into NFT space quite a bit, talked about cool cats and subdecks, uh, PFP products that are creating their own tokens. Uh, you know, tokenization is certainly something that's happening more and more uh, widely in the NFT space and other categories right now. Um, also, we've seen estimates there's a 1.5 billion gamers in the world, only 400,000 OpenSea users right now. So certainly a lot of room for growth. I think what also jumps out to me is that our younger generation plays video games. They understand these concepts. They understand in-game tokenomics and, and using in-game currencies. So I think when they get older and start interacting more with NFTs, it'll click for them. And things that click for our younger generation will certainly be driving value uh, for a lot of these NFTs here in the future. Um, <clears throat> Let's keep going. So the, the next class I want to talk about is digital real estate uh, or metaverses. So, you know, one of the biggest buzzwords in NFTs is metaverse, you know, essentially a term for online universes. Um, some of the, the biggest players in digital real estate or metaverses that I follow, Decentraland, Cryptovoxels, Sandbox, Treeverse, you know, each are set up differently. They have different looks and feels. But the, the primary concept is users can buy parcels or plots of land as NFTs that enable you to then build on those parcels of land in that metaverse. Um, you know, and the fundamental rule from physical real estate, location, 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 certainly applies. Um, in the crypto voxels market, the, their foundation city is called Origin City. And parcels of land in that online city uh, command higher values than all their other suburbs and, and neighborhoods. One of the coolest use cases for digital real estate is creating digital art galleries uh, or, virtual or virtual museums. I'm showing a picture here of a digital art gallery in CryptoVoxels right now. Um, you know, there, there's talk of eventually uh, some of the top collectors and NFTs being able to create their own versions of the Louvre that anyone can visit online you know, without paying money, without getting on a plane and flying to France. And I absolutely think we will see this play out. Uh, I know for a fact that some of the top collectors of digital art in the NFT space have collections that will you know, soon rival some of the top museums in the world. Um, you know, a, a few drawbacks to digital real estate. One is there's no supply cap, right? There could be infinite worlds created even within one metaverse that can continue to create new, uh, new subworlds, new suburbs, all that type of thing. Additionally, uh, we're seeing more online cyber galleries. On Cyber is a, is a big player in this space, allowing users to create digital galleries for free without having to purchase any type of digital real estate. So certainly a few drawbacks. It's one of the reasons why I don't really play too actively in this space, um, as I think it's too immature. But over time, I think we'll, we'll see a few winners really pan out. And that's probably when it'll, it'll make sense to invest there. Um, well, I, I've alluded to utility, you know, one of the utilities of digital real estate being, you know, being able to build virtual museums. Um, utility is one of the biggest things that drives value for NFTs. Uh, and PFP projects were some of the early adopters of this. So when I talk about utility, it, it's perks for owners of an existing NFT, whether that be financial whether that be you know, 
status, access to some type of club. Um, it could be any or all of those. But let's talk through some examples, which I think will make it um, easier to understand. Um, CryptoPunks drove utility to their owners by allowing them all to mint MeBits uh, for free, which MeBits had a market value of 2.5 is what it cost uh, to, to mint a MeBit for the public. Um, CryptoPunks owners could do that for free. So they got essentially what was five or $6,000 of utility in the market simply for owning a CryptoPunk. The Bored Apes team did something similar with their Bored Ape Kennel Club. Uh, anyone who owned an ape was able to mint a Bored Ape Kennel Club dog NFT for free. Uh, those ended up going to about 1.6 ETH pre-reveal. So about $2,500 financial utility to those Bored Ape Yacht Club owners. Um, here's some simpler examples of utility. We've seen some more complex ones. Um, Enter Punk's comic. When I think about utility, I think this is the first product that really comes to mind. Um, the NFT itself is a comic book uh, that you can view online. It's a PDF um, created by Beanie Maxi and the Pixel Vault team. It's based on a series of crypto punks that they own. Um, what they promise is that each punks comic owner could stake their comic and earn punks tokens, so tokenomics, which, uh, which were fractional ownership of a vault of those 16 crypto punks that are in the token, that were in the, the comic book. Um, or each NFT holder could essentially burn their comic, get a founder's DAO token, which provided fractional ownership of a digital art vault of NFTs. Um, so essentially, just by owning this punks comic, you had future economic benefit or utility that you could earn ongoing revenue um, from these different tokens and, and vaults of, of digital art. And the Punk's Comic team has gotten increasingly complex. Uh, they've, they're really creating their own universe. They allowed owners to mint MetaHero NFTs, which is a new PFP project uh, at a base price of 0.08. Uh, and those mint passes skyrocketed in value. Um, so really a team that is driving some extreme utility uh, to its owners. And as I alluded to above, we're seeing this crossover of uh, decentralized finance and tokenomics and NFTs play out more and more. So um, <clears throat> Subducks with their Volt token, right? Everyone who owned a Subducks NFT on September 9th got airdropped 100 Volt tokens. And then they accrue 10 Volt tokens per day for every Subduck they own. Well, Subduck just surged to $2 uh, per token and it's retraced a bit. But imagine if someone owned 10 NFTs just a month, 10 subducts just a, a month ago, they'll generate $6,000 in passive income just this month. So, you know, we're talking real dollars and cents. Um, this is why tokenomics are becoming so popular and such a, a buzz and such a draw in the NFT space right now. Um, but certainly a lot of folks in the industry are, are warning of an ICO 2017-like crash you know, what, what is really driving the value of these NFT tokens? You know, it, it's certainly up for debate, right? So certainly an area to tread carefully, but something to, to pay attention to. All right, well, let's go ahead and move into our final piece of the segment, and we'll close out our first rookie corner here uh, with why are NFTs valuable? You know, I, I think I, I've tried to answer this question a bit as we've, we've gone through uh, our discussion here. Um, I'm showing some of the OpenSea volumes. Uh, OpenSea, the primary NFT marketplace, 3.4 billion in revenue in August, uh, 
we're going to probably hit that number again in September. Here's the user growth chart, just a, a, a parabolic uh, increase here in users. So, you know, fundamentally, why are NFTs valuable? The simple answer is because the market says so. Um, and we have to listen to the market. But I think going deeper than that, one of the reasons we're seeing this is just the, the general drive to collectibles and other asset classes as a hedge against inflation. Uh, the wealthy have been doing this for a while as you know, there's reduced faith in the US dollar and its value uh, and US government spending. Um, so I think that's one of the high reasons we've seen this, high level reasons. Um, but I think it's also the, the four characteristics below. So things that make NFTs valuable, provenance, ease of sale and transferability, community and utility. So provenance being, I think, the foundational one, it's very easy to see proof that an NFT is real. All the data resides in the blockchain. No one can ever argue with that. Uh, when you transfer a sale to NFT, that sales is on the record. Everyone can see it. You know, to use an example, if you go to a new acquaintance's house and they have a Picasso on the wall, are you really going to believe that that's Picasso or not? You know, it probably depends on you know how how nice their house is, uh, you know what you know about them, what their job is, so to speak. Um, you don't have to worry about that with NFTs. It's easily proven uh, if it's real or not. You know, a big driver for me is the transferability or the 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 ease of buying and selling. Right, uh, it's very easy to interact in OpenSea and digital marketplaces. It removes that barrier of entry. Uh, if you wanted to try to sell art, artwork from your home, you'd have to find a marketplace. You'd have to physically take it there. You'd have to find a, a seller to, to buy it from you. Those are a lot of steps. Um, digital marketplaces totally remove those. The utility piece, you know, I, I've touched on quite a bit already. NFTs can drive several types of financial utility to their owners. Um, I think what we can expect and what will be really cool is when big brands start to unlock utility for their NFTs. So imagine Louis Vuitton drops a digital purse NFT. And if you buy it, it allows you uh, first access to any new Louis Vuitton purse drop that, that comes out ahead of the general public. You know, I, I think folks who are Louis Vuitton lovers would, would pay hefty amounts for that NFT. Um, and I think we'll see brands start to realize this and start to act on it more and more uh, in this space. I know I'd certainly love if the Chicago Bulls uh, created an NFT that unlocked two courtside seats four times per year, I'd pay a hefty dollar for that. Um, so I, I think we'll start to see more and more of this uh, type of utility as more uh, brands, sports teams, others uh, start to understand the power of NFTs in this space. Um, and then there's community, right? I've touched on community. It's, it's a big driver of value. People love to be in communities. It's a fundamental part of human nature. The digital avatars, being, identifying with the community on Twitter and social media, it's just getting started. I think we're gonna see more and more of this as we move to a more and more virtual and, and digital world. Um, and then, you know, lastly, maybe you just like looking at your NFT and knowing that you own it and that's value to you and, and no one can argue with that. Um, to round out the, our topic here, but one of the most common questions in NFTs is why would I buy the NFT when I can just right click save it? <clears throat> well, uh, Twitter already made their announcement yesterday. They're going to start verifying NFT ownership 
just the first step in online and digital verification. So that question has been answered. Uh, it were uh, to use NFTs on social media and other public uh, digital forums in the future, uh, you'll have to own them if you want to be verified or have any type of cloud. So that's it for today. We'll go ahead and conclude part one of NFTs 101. Uh, fairly lengthy, but we covered a lot of content. Um, next week in part two, we will cover the, the tactics, of how to buy and sell uh, NFTs, how to fund a MetaMask wallet um, and interact with MetaMask and also talk about uh, gas controls. So thanks for everyone who, who stuck around. Have a good weekend and we will talk to everyone soon. Goodbye.